0: Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. You know, uh, there are times when we think we know something from the Word or by the Spirit, (laughs) but there's so little we know. And God can take and impart a piece of information to your spirit that can rise into your mind and just radically change everything in a moment of time. It's amazing how God can do that. seen it happen so many times. Tonight as we were praying, I'm a real stickler for being a contender for revival, for a move of God, for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Sometimes we don't even know what we have when we have it. So we were praying this evening. We had to move into the, the youth room to pray, they were preparing for our fellowship afterwards in the, in the Kid Current, Kid Current room. And so uh, I was sitting there in the corner and I'd been praying for about 20 minutes and I was, I was, I was in my mind because I when I pray in the Spirit I also engage my mind in, in, in prayer activity, either by Scripture or just by speaking to God. My mind is I pray in the Holy Ghost. And the Lord dropped a thought in my spirit and He said this to me, he said if a year before Azusa Street, which Azusa Street was the great outpouring that literally began the move of God that we're still a part of today. He said if a year before Azusa Street, William Seymour were to walk in this room, what would he think? 30, 35 people in there praying in other tongues. Now think about that. Just think about that for a moment. From that move of God in Azusa Street, the the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and the baptism of the Holy Ghost went all over the world. There were those that contended for it for several years before it actually broke out in Azusa. But just think if a year before Azusa broke out, William Seymour on his journeys would have stumbled upon Island Church and walked in the door and came back and walked into a room where 35 people were praying in other tongues. What do you think his response would have been? What do you think his response would have been? He would have been, he would have been ecstatic. You think he'd have started praying and you think he'd have got the Holy Ghost right then and there. You think he'd have started praying, you think he'd have... You know. Listen, many times we, we, we gauge things by the world's standards, not realizing or recognizing God could care less about the world's standards. Now let me read you a scripture. Actually, it's just a little piece of a scripture. Then I'm going to go into this for just a few moments. Chapter 26, verse 1 of the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul, under great persecution from the Judaizers and the Jewish religion, had ended up in the the civil courts of Rome appealing the decisions that were trying to be made on his behalf. Actually, a better way to put it would be this. Appealing the sentences made against him. Appealing it all the way to Agrippa. That would be like us going to the Supreme Court. I mean, he said, you you want to fight with me? Then we'll fight all the way to Rome. We'll fight it all the way, excuse me, to Caesar. We'll fight all the way to Caesar. We'll fight all all the way to Rome. So he's working his way up the different courts. And he ends up in King Agrippa's court. Now listen to what he says. He says, then Agrippa said to Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. Now listen to this. I think myself happy. I think myself happy. Now you got to understand something, church. This is Acts 26. There is an argument to be made that the book of Acts in chapter form is chronological. You say, what do you mean? Well, what happened in Acts chapter 1 happened in the first year, Acts chapter 2 in the second year, Acts chapter 3 in the third year, Acts chapter 4 in the fourth year. We get to Acts chapter 26, the 26th year from the day of Pentecost this took place. So we've already gone through Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 19, the glorious revival in Ephesus. Where the Bible says special miracles were wrought by the hands of Paul, and the gospel was preached throughout all of Asia from Ephesus. Revival move of God. Now it's down to one man. Paul's not standing in front of a huge congregation that's saying Amen and praise the God, praise the Lord. He's standing in front of people that are judging him. And the move of God in his life from this point on was reduced. The next. Zenith that he had in the move of God would be the two years that he spent in Rome in a hired house preaching the gospel and nobody forbade him. From then, he went to prison. And in prison, if you would have gauged the move of God in Paul's life by the world standards, you would have said, well, God was done with Paul and he literally is not using him anymore. But in the prisons, he wrote the letters to the church which have had more effect on the world than the revival in Ephesus, the revival in Corinth, the revival in Philippi, or anywhere else. He penned the letters to the church. What does revival look like? What does the move of God look like? In this scripture, in relating to healing, Paul saying, I think myself happy. We could get into the details of what he's talking about, but I'm going to take that word out And put this word in for the sake of what we're teaching tonight. I think myself healed. Now I want you to know you've got to understand how powerful the psychosomatic effect is upon your physical body. There are many, many people today that think they're sick, think they're sick, think they're sick, think they're sick, and end up sick. And many times sicknesses and disease are maintained by what we are constantly thinking. What we're saying is known. What we're saying is understood. But many times you rise and fall to the level of your thinking. Amen. I have a a very close friend of mine. Somebody that I enjoy their company, enjoy being in their church. We hunt together and we've had many uh, intimate conversations talking about things of life and things of ministry enemy attacked his heart about three years ago. He was talking to me. We were talking, texting back and forth. And I made this statement to him, and I, it must have hit somewhere because I, I qualified it by how I lived my life. I said, I said Pastor, you're going to have to live in a healing revival from now on, the rest of your life. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, you know, when I came back to the Lord, I realized and recognized that through my lifestyle and my rebellion, I had done some things that could se- severely hurt my body bring lasting harm to me. And because of that, when I begin to get light and revelation on God's healing power and how it worked according to faith and confession, I literally begin to live in a healing revival in my mind at all times. Reading books, exposing myself to the point that now 30-something years later, after practicing this for 30-something years, unconsciously, every time I lay down to go to sleep at night, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm not thinking about how, how how good the ducks were flying that day. I'm not thinking about how great of a service we're at. I'm thinking about healing. Healing scriptures roll in my mind, and when I wake up and I'm still in that twilight zone, that unconscious state, I wake up to healing scriptures rolling in my mind. I think myself healed. I think myself healed. Now if you do not do that and break down the strongholds of sickness and disease that this world system is building, building everything that you listen to today from the from the vaccines to the mass to the diseases to how many times they're mass dating and becoming bigger and bigger. If you expose yourself to that and if that's all you're thinking about it's going to be hard for you to navigate your health through what's going on in the world today. Amen. You've got to understand, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold, casting down imagination. One of the first place healing begins is in your mind when you begin to empower empower your mind or you begin to impart to your own mind by your own will God's word over and over and over and over and over and over in such a repetitious way that you cannot escape it every waking hour of the day, that scripture, that word, that reality of healing is just resonating in your mind. You are a healed thinker. And with all the different Blessings of redemption, prosperity's the same way, joy's the same way. I think myself joyful. I think myself blessed. I think myself righteous. I think myself. Amen. You can imagine the predicament the Apostle Paul was in as he stood before Agrippa and all of this accusation. You know, many times we 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 are not near as. How can I say this? We're not near. Not we're not near as keen to how opposition comes against us. But I'm going to tell you the enemy knows that when the Spirit of God is moving, when the Word of God is going forth, when your mind and your emotions are being impacted by the presence of God and the Word of God, how ain't much he can do about that. What he does is he catches you out in the darkness. A symptom. Something happens. A report from a doctor. And he knows how to stimulate your thinking. Where you begin over and over and over and over to begin to think about the what-ifs of the enemy. And how he's trying to get you to think yourself sick. That's happening on a mass scale right now. I have never been so aware of the palpable fear in society right now. I've never been more aware of it than I am right now. In restaurants, in grocery stores, people... Are so afraid they're gonna get sick and die, and that's all they think about. And I tell you, they'll line up for anything you tell them to line up for. Line up, we got, if you put a bucket on your head, you're gonna be okay. There'll be millions of people standing around with buckets on their head. I'm telling you, it's the truth. You've gotta make a decision in your mind. To get into the Word of God. I, I begin to go back in the Scripture, all the way back into Exodus, all the way back into Genesis, where we first begin to see healing, where Abraham ministered healing to a king's wife, and they all were able to have children. We saw where where, where, where God uh, uh, took His Word and sent it to the nation of Israel and said, I am the God that healeth thee. And all the healing that took place as they came out of Egypt, they came out, not one feeble one among them. That, that means they had a massive healing revival. And here we are, in the last of the last days, needing, more than anything, some type of of advertisement. What do you think is going to get people into church? It's going to have to be something supernatural. It's going to have to be something powerful. It's going to have to be something of God. And there's so many Christians today that have just shut down on God. Quit going to church. We have a bunch of them that's quit coming to Island Church. Oh, well, we've heard every kind of crazy accusation. You're not protecting the people. You're not. doing I couldn't care less about all that. If that's your thinking, you'll never make it here anyway. Then people that, that, that write us and say, you know, you've fallen for the prosperity and the healing. That's not the will of God. Why don't you read your Bible? Your thinking is messed up. Your thinking is beginning to be conformed to this world. That means everything that is in this world is going to download into you. The poverty, the sickness, the depression, the fear, and you'll be living in hell right on this earth when you can be living in the joy of the Lord. The greatest breakthroughs in the kingdom of God are right upon us right now. We are living in a time in which God is wanting to show himself strong. And it has to begin in our thinking as we think uh, think ourselves saved, think ourselves healed, think ourselves protected, think ourselves blessed. There's not a point, church, in which I'm going to bow my knee to the world. I'm just not going to do it. Well, it could cost you your life. I've already given my life away. I'm sorry. Amen. <laughs> Can I say that again? I've already given my life away. Amen. So it's not going to cost me my life. My life already belongs to somebody else. Amen. We're in the kingdom for such a time as this. Amen. That's been one of the most resonating realities of who we are in this day and hour. Amen. With this last event, I've been talking to pastors. Many of them didn't, couldn't have church today. One large church, this is a friend of mine, a pastor said, he, he was texting me today and was talking about how, you know, man, this thing is just people are suffering. People are, they are. People are suffering. People are hurting. People are afraid. And listen, the news, the news isn't doing anything but messing their thinking up even more. This is a time in the move of God in the world for God's people to be the strongest people they've ever been on this earth. Bible doesn't say, I'm going to come back for the biggest church that does have any spot or wrinkle. He says, I'm going to come back for a glorious church. Now you begin to study what that means. That means I'm coming back for a church in which my glory is in manifestation. Because if my glory is in manifestation, those people are thinking right, they're praying right, they're giving right, they're living right, and they're doing exactly what they need to be doing in the last of the last days. Amazing how from Azusa Street, the move of God began to grow. John G. Lake took it to Africa from Azusa. Others took it to different places. John G. Lake came back, took it to to Spokane, Washington. Pastor in Houston, Texas. I, I never, I don't know if he was at Azusa. I don't know. I think his father was. But it was the son who really had the move of God in his church, Raymond T. Ritchie, who built Evangelistic Temple. Had such a powerful healing revival. Now this is before the outpouring of healing after World War II in 1948. This was in the 30s. Had such a powerful healing revival that they celebrated. The church celebrated with a parade through downtown Houston. And it was 30 blocks long of, 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 of trucks full of crutches and beds and old iron lungs and old hearing eggs and crutches and canes and every kind of thing you could think of. Whole city celebrating the move of God, outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Then we have the great healing revival. It took place in 1948. It began to wane in the 60's, but I, I believe a lot of it just jumped right over into the charismatic move. The charismatic move, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon all the believers, all of the whosoevers that would call upon the name of the Lord. God said, I don't care if they're Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, it doesn't matter to me if they're Lutheran or Episcopal, I'm just going to fill them all with the Holy Ghost. That's what He did. That's what He did in Mass. That's what he did in this. Now we live in a day and an hour where if you believe in all of those things, and we're part of any of that move, and declare God has done that, but He'll do it again. You're kind of a you're kind of a kind of a freak. As churches are kind of struggling to find their their social place and how to best uh, pacify a congregation full of fear and unbelief, make them feel a little better about themselves. It's not going to work. This is it. Everybody say, this is it. Just like, just, like a, just like an army would train and train and train and train for years for war. And then the day comes when the training's over. And you got to go. And you got to face the enemy. And, and suffer the consequences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The same is true of the body of Christ right now. God is saying, you know, all the preparation, all of that, thank God for it. Thank God we'll always live in a state of preparation, even when we're in our glorified bodies, being prepared for the next thing that God wants to do to manifest His glory throughout the universe and throughout the expanses of time. But I'm telling you, what we've been prepared for for years is happening right now in front of us. Events just like this week that happened. See, that was an event that happened. People are still reeling from it. A weather event. A weather event, but there was an element to the weather event that made it traumatic. You say, what was it? Just the thought. Just the thought. Just the thought that someone may have turned off the power. That scares people to their very inner soul. But the good news is we got another power source. (laughs) And there's no government that can turn it off. As a matter of fact, I see the hand of God on that power source turning it up to another level. I said turning it up to another level. I've never been more expectant. I've never been more excited. But here's the thing. We have to be willing as a people to think ourselves, you fill in the blank, healed, saved, full of power, full of life righteous and we've got to so guard our information gates as to keep out that was of the that which is of the world the flesh and the devil because we cannot afford to slip so much is going on in the spirit right now when there is great activity in the spirit realm the natural realm has to get ready and a lot of people they miss that because they're too busy dealing with just their needs of life. Well, pastor, you know that's all well and good. You know, the spirit realm can be as active as it wants to, but I still need to pay my light bill. See, that's a distraction. There's never been a time in which God is drawing you to His heart like He is right now. There's never been a stronger pull from the Master. You ever notice a true father, a true father, if their children are in peril, that, that father can be 98 years old, and he'll get his cane, and he'll go over there and start whacking on whatever's trying to trying to harm his kids. I guarantee you, he will. But we have a heavenly Father, and he sees everything that's going on in the earth. He knows this is the last of the last days. He's fixing to turn to his son. He's fixing to say, go get them. But the problem that we have right now is there just ain't enough of us. You say, what do you mean by that? I don't mean in the church and in the pews. I mean there's not enough that has been born again, that has been brought into the kingdom of God. There is not enough of the harvest that has come in yet, and God is fixing to activate that harvest. The Lord said this to me. Two different things he said to me that were very radical about harvest. He said, number one, the day before harvest, the barn is the emptiest. Then he said this. I thought this was really good. He said, harvest starts in one day. It starts in one day. One day, you know they'll plan for it. They'll get diesel for all the combines. They'll make sure they got the the the, the, the rice. I know more about. I guess more about more about. Uh, uh, rice harvest than anything. They'll make sure all of the rice dryers are operating and working. That there's none of the old last year's crop that's there. They'll make sure everything is cleaned up and cleaned out. They make sure they got all their permits. They make sure they got enough money to cut everything. They make sure that they got all their fields marked. They make sure that they're drained. They are ready to bring the. And in one day, the farmer walks out and says, "Today." And they crack it, crank up the combines, and they get out the trucks, and they go start cutting. And what's amazing is, and I've seen this is always, always, I don't know, you got to like where you live. I mean, I wish I could live in Hawaii, but that's not relevant. Amen. I like where I live. I like living on the Gulf Coast. One time I was over in in Chambers County, over in Winnie, and I was doing some work on a duck lease we had over there. And there was a tropical storm approaching. It looked like it was going to go into Cameron. And I remember driving up 124, and as I looked out on the White Ranch to the left, as I drove into High Island heading south. I saw all these lights. And I thought to myself, what is that? I thought I was seeing a UFO or something. You know how that is, amen? I thought, what is that? Because there were lights here, lights here, lights here, lights here, lights here, and they're kind of doing this. And I thought, that is the strangest thing. And then I realized, those are combines. Those are combines. The storm is approaching, so they're bringing in the harvest. The storm is approaching, so they're bringing in the harvest. And you know what? Even though it got dark, they had light to do it. Hallelujah. You love the Lord? Does everybody have a communion? If you do not have one, lift your hands and we have an anointed usher. You need one, Miss Dana, bring one to Miss Dana. A lady over here needs one. Keep your hand up till they bring you one. Anyone else need one? Make sure everybody has one. Now, let me say this. Tonight, when we receive communion, a couple of things to consider. Number one, if there's anything in your life that you need to get right. You get it right tonight. The phrase we've coined many years ago, you get right, you stay right. Don't you don't you waver from that. Number 2, as you receive communion tonight, you covenant with God. That you're going to do everything you can do to download healing into your mind so that you think yourself healed. Now, I know many of you may be saying, "Well, Pastor, I really don't have anything" I'm, I'm healthy. I, I, I'm not sick in any way that I know of. I don't have any lingering symptoms in my body. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about putting a resistance in you. Like you would build your own immune system. They use the, uh, the word vaccine to paint a picture in your mind of something that would go into your body and create a resistance to a disease. Amen? Amen. Well, there's something a little stronger than a vaccine. You say what is that? It's the word of God. I said it's the word of God. I'm not I'm not neither here nor there on vaccines. You have to settle that between you and God and you and your own your own uh, your own doctor. Amen. But you have to understand there is something stronger in life than anything the world can produce. That's the word of God. Many times in the Bible God did what? Sent his word Even Jesus, going to the centurion's house, the centurion recognized this guy's got a word in him. This guy's got a word. I don't know everything about him. I'm just a Roman soldier, but I know one thing. I watched this guy say some things, and I saw some things happen. And all you need to do, Jesus, is send your word. Jesus called that great faith. He called that great faith. The Syrophoenician woman, she was there with Jesus, but Jesus healed his daughter. It was a long way off. There's something about that word getting inside of you where you think yourself healed. You say, what do you mean? They're going to come up. I, I, I read an article yesterday. Oh, my God. Are you ready? Someone in Siberia got the bird flu. Now they're preparing for a bird flu pandemic. It's just the next one. You got the bird flu, you got the COVID-19, you're going to have the, the Hong Kong, the Asian. you know, never, you never heard of the heavenly flu, have you? They always name it after some devil or some devilish place. Amen. But it's going to, that's going to grow. The Bible talks about the perilous times of the last days, about the epidemics, the pandemics are going to be all over the world. Amen. I mean, you think, well, I'll just take the vaccine. Okay, take it. But how, what if you're going to need one for the bird flu? You need one for the for the COVID? You need one for... I mean, how big is your arm? <laughs> Amen. At some point, you're going to have to think yourself healed. Think yourself healed. Go to bed at night, and you're thinking, oh, I thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. And you begin to close your eyes, and in your imagination, you see stretched out body of Jesus Christ standing in that that day room of those Roman soldiers. They have him stretched, almost standing on his tiptoes. And that Roman soldier, they, they had a particular soldier that they would choose. It was a skill to know how to whip. You had to have the skill. Number one, it was usually a very large man who could put a lot of strength and momentum in that whip. Then it was a man that was very merciless. A man that would not stop at the cry of the one he was torturing. So you, not just anybody was chosen. You just, well, you come over and whip him. No, I would not like that. They called him the Roman lictors, what they called him. He was a specialist. He was an expert in torture. And there stood Jesus stretched before him. And they took, the theologians tell us, a whip that was between seven and nine feet long. And held, it was a like a single weaved handle that was about 12 to 18 inches long, but depending on the whip. And off of that whip came anywhere from five to fifteen strands of leather. In those leather, in that leather was braided metal and bone, jagged metal and jagged bone that would go into the flesh and embed itself. And the skill of the Roman lictor, as he was able, would be not only to lay that lash upon him, but to wrap that whip around the victim as that victim was being just mercil- mercilessly tortured and allow that, that, gla- that, uh, that metal and that bone to embed in their flesh. Then as the skill of that that Roman lictor grew, he knew how to work his wrist and his forearm and pull that thing back and just rip the flesh off your body. Most people that received those 39 stripes died instantly as they hit them with that 39th one. An innocent man who had never been sick a day in his life. And the only sickness he ever knew was the sickness he bore for me and you as he took those stripes upon his back. A doctor, I believe it was Dr. Cherry that used to be on on staff there at Lakewood, teaching on a Wednesday night service, talked about how, I don't know exactly, you could ask Dr. Victor, he'd probably know more about this than me. But he said, when you study medicine, not only the diseases of the world, But also many of the injuries, you know, you've got knee injuries, you've got hip and different things like that. He says every malady that can happen to the human body will fall into about 39 different classifications. You know, the the infectious, the tropical diseases, and then you get into uh, things that are hereditary. Then you get into things that are by environment or or habit or lifestyle, those types. They all fall into 39 different categories in the medical journals. How many stripes did Jesus take? He took one stripe for every classification of injury and disease upon the planet. You go to bed, you meditate on that a few nights in a row. You see Jesus. He didn't scream. He didn't cry out. In that whole situation, He never opened His mouth. Let me tell you why. Because if he would have opened his mouth, his soul would have taken over and he'd have called for a legions of angels to come down and turn this planet into a burnout shell. You say, could he do that? He created it. He created it. The creator of the world was taking on the sickness, the disease, and everything else that could happen to the human body so that you might be healed. That's so powerful. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, real quick. 1 Corinthians 11. Let me get over there. Let me ask you to do something tonight. Let communion be precious to you. I did a video the other day for our ministerial organization. Use the word precious, what precious means, how valuable something is and its value. For so many people, communion is a ritual. But what it is, it's an ordinance. Water baptism, communion are the two ordinances of the New Testament church. Both of them, now listen very carefully. Both of them are affirmations. Amen. An affirmation. An affirmation of His deity. An affirmation of our dependency. An affirmation of His truth. And an affirmation of our submission to that truth. We celebrate that in water baptism and we celebrate that with communion. Water baptism, the showing forth of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. An outward showing of the inward grace in which we've received. Communion a celebration of the broken body, an honor of the blood that was spilled seven times and offered one time on our behalf. That's why communion and water should be very, very precious to you. I remember our our former pastor from years ago, uh, Brother J.R. Goodwin, teaching one. I don't know, why. I guess I needed to hear it, so I heard it. I probably was about 10 or 11 years old. You know how kids are. You know, minds will drift off. But I heard him say this. He said, if you ever stray from God, you get out of fellowship, backslid. That's what the old Pentecostals used to call it. If you ever do that and you come back to God, get get baptized again. Do it again. I know you've been baptized once. All you've been baptized, you had a beautiful baptismal there in that church. He said, but if you come back to God, do it again. And so I remember coming back to the Lord in March of 1984. I didn't really have an opportunity but in the church, the, the Assembly of God Church over here in Galveston, they had a baptismal service about two months after I got saved. I got back, got right with God. Man, I was first on the list. And I remember the pastor as he was fixing to baptize me says, is there anything you'd like to say? I said this. I said, well I thank God for what he brought me out of. But I'm really thanking God right now for what he's bringing me into. Amen. And then a year later after I graduated from Bible school in July of that year, I got to go to the Jordan River. And I ain't no fool. (laughs) Amen. I got baptized in the Jordan River. I know location doesn't mean anything, but it did to me. Amen. But it was an affirmation of what? The death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ being relative to my life. But every night, third Sunday of the month, Every year we've been a church, we've received communion as a celebration of that broken body and what it means. An affirmation of what he's done, an affirmation of our dependency upon him, an affirmation of how powerful his word is and our submission to it. Saying to the Lord through the ordinance of communion, it's your blood, it's your broken body. That's what we're so dependent on. That's what we must have, what it has produced. Don't vindicate Island Church. Don't vindicate Pastor Rusty's men. Don't vindicate some mover. Vindicate the finished work of your son. Stretch forth your hand to heal. Let signs and wonders be done in the name of your holy child, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now carefully, if you will, take the top where your little host is and pull that one off and get your host out. I'll read the scripture real quick. It says, For I have received, verse 24, I have received of the Lord Jesus that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Everybody take it, hold your bread up. And when he had given thanks, he break it. Break it. And he said, everybody say he said. Take eat. This is my body. which is This is so powerful. Broken for you. This do ye in remembrance of me. Now before we take of the host, the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ broke the power of Satan over your life and over your mind. Father, right now, in great honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, He was made in the likeness of man and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross but you father you have highly exalted him and in great honor of how he offered his body for us we receive of the bread in Jesus name now carefully remove the top off of your cup I like this after the same manner in the same way he took the cup when he had stopped saying, this cup, this is so good, is the New Testament. It's the new agreement. It's the new covenant in my blood. says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it. Now notice, in remembrance of me. One of the most powerful forces in your life is your memory. Your memory. Now let me to say something real quick about your memory. Your memory is not in your mind. It's not in your mind. People say, I'm losing my memory, just getting no, old. No, you're not. Listen, you need, you need to regain your memory if that's what you're thinking. Remember Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man... There he was in hell, Lazarus within Abraham's bosom. And remember what Abraham said to him? He said, remember. He said, remember. When you were on the earth, you fared sumptuously. But Lazarus had to suffer under that disease. In your memory, in your memory, there it needs to be burnt into your memory the reality of what the blood is all about. New Testament. Purchase price of the church, price of your redemption, the blood still on the mercy seat, all that the blood is in its power. We sang that song tonight. So powerful, so powerful. The most expensive commodity in the universe. No billionaire owns it. No billionaire owns it. No government possesses it. It's free to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, How can we ever thank you for the blood of Jesus? Not for what it means, for what it is. For what it is in our life. And tonight in great honor of that blood, as our minds are seared with the reality of the power of the blood, the power to cleanse, the power to transform, the power to heal, we partake of the cup in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now lift your hands and thank God. Father, we worship you tonight. Lord, we glorify your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, at right now, right now, at this point, if you need healing in your body, in your mind right now, you begin to think yourself healed. You say, how do I do that, Pastor? You begin to think this. Heavenly Father, I thank you that by His stripes I was healed. And because I was healed, I am healed. I thank you that healing is not something I'm trying to possess. Healed is someone I am. Thank you, Heavenly Father, you've delivered me from the power of darkness. Sickness and disease is darkness. But you've translated me into the kingdom, the dominion of your dear Son. That's healing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that by His stripes I am healed. From the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. You've blessed my bread and water. You've taken all sickness and symptoms from the midst of me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Who forgiveth all iniquity. Who healeth all disease. Who redeems my life from destruction. Crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercy. And looking at that scripture today meditating on Psalms 103, and I looked at a note that I had written down in the margin of my Bible. It said this. It says, it should be as easy to be healed as it is to be forgiven. Now let me say that again. Some of you need to hear that. It should be as easy to be healed as it is to be forgiven. Psalms 103. Who forgiveth all iniquity. Who healeth all disease. Have you received forgiveness from the Father? Then receive His healing power. Thank you, Father. We think ourselves healed. We think ourselves healed. We think ourselves healed. In Jesus' precious name, hallelujah! Give the Lord a shout. Oh, give Him a shout of it. Oh, give Him a mighty shout. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Well. I forgot all the announcements. We're doing some stuff next week and the week after that. Then we'll do some more stuff. The youth are going to do some stuff. The young adults are going to do some stuff. Marriage is, we're going to have some marriage stuff going on, so tune in and you'll figure it out, amen. Scripture that we looked at this morning in Luke chapter 16 for our offering tonight. Verse 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in that which is much. He that is unjust in least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous man, who will commit to you or trust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, man, another man, who shall give you that which is your own? Now notice this. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he would hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Everybody say, you can't serve God and money. Money is a wonderful tool. It's a great servant, but it's a horrible master. And some of the people that have the most are the most in bondage to their money. They have power because of their wealth. They have influence because of their money and it's the one element that if you take it out of their life you remove their identity now think about that but honey they can take all my money and it's not going to remove my identity because I still shout it from the rooftop that I'm more than a conqueror and the blessed of God amen I've always said it like this and it's uh, uh, many times you know we teach things and I guess one of the major principles that Pastor John Osteen tried to impart unto us young preachers years ago was this. Don't presuppose everybody knows what you know or has experienced what you have experienced. So I'm trying to get better at, at throwing these phrases out there without making you think you can immediately, you know, immediately get this to uh, to work or to operate when, when many times it takes us years, months, weeks, and I believe that, that time element has been compressed where it don't take near as much time if you'll just put yourself into it and expose yourself to it. But that is this. Never let money tell you what you can or can't do. See, the world is like this. What can you afford? What can you afford? Well, that's not relevant. It's what can you believe God for? Amen. Poverty is a curse. It's a curse. If you've ever had to turn your head from poverty, you say, what do you mean by that? If you've ever been in a country, Alan and Pat are here, they can testify to this, especially back in the early days of our travels to Nicaragua. And being in Managua right after the war and the fall of communism and everything that socialism could do. Oh, Pastor, we need a little socialism in America. That's, that's just saying like we need a little more of the devil. You need to go to a nation and see what communism can do to a nation. And as we would be with the missionaries and those, uh, the local people that we would knew, and we'd be parked at these red lights in these major Roads and intersections, here come all these little children. Just break your heart. And they've all got things to sell or, you know, begging for money. Little little girl just all dirty with her hand up like this. And the missionaries and the locals, you can't give it to them. You will just, you want to take everything you got out of your pocket and just put it on them. But you can't give it to them because, see, it's a scam. It's being run by men over on the corners that put these little people out there and everything that they get in their hands, they walk over to the corner and those people take it away from them. So to give it to them just puts, the, puts them in harm's. That's what poverty looks like. It's so horrible. It's so ungodly. It's so unlike God. But let me tell you what God is like. He is a consummate giver. Heaven is going to be so glorious. The thousand-year millennial reign, you're not going to worry about rent or, or owning or I Listen, the provision of God, God, God did not invent work, wages, or currency. He didn't invent that. That's not of his kingdom. What did he invent? Generosity, giving, amen, compassion. And when you give, you're releasing all those attributes of God. You give out of your generosity. You give out of your compassion. Today is Mission Sunday. We, we want to help the Macris. We want to we help the Cooks down in Nicaragua. We want to help uh, Paul and Shadi in, in in the Philippine Islands. We want to we help Egan and Hannah in, in, in Africa. They're in Tanzania. We want to help the DeHarts in, in Guatemala. We want to help the Fishers. They're in Hong Kong. We want to help all of these men and women all over the world. We want to help them out of what? Out of what? Out of our compassion out of our generosity. We want to be part of their provision. What's the word say about it? When they receive that gift, they worship God. And they thank God. It inspires their worship. That's how the kingdom of God works. That's how it operates. Hallelujah. You ready to give tonight? Praise the Lord. Let me get my offering. Put it up. Let's make this confession out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, tonight as I give, I think myself I think myself prosperous not according to that which is in my bank account not according to gold or silver that I may own not according to stocks or bonds or to the wealth of anything I possess but according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus thank you Father rich is not something I'm trying to get rich is who I am it's part of who I am in Christ and out of the abundance of your grace in my life I give tonight thanking you that every scripture that has to do with giving and receiving is a truth in my heart that shall manifest in God's provision. No matter what happens, no matter what happens in this world system, my faith is in the kingdom of God and its ability to take care of me in every situation. Thank you, Jesus. You said you would never leave us. You'd never forsake us. Jesus' name. Amen. You can bring your offerings. Glory to God. Praise God. Well, we're going to have a fellowship tonight. They found some food. <laughs> so we invite everyone back for just a time of fellowship. Go grab a cupcake. It won't hurt you. Amen. Let's fellowship together and enjoy our time. Praise God. It's good to fellowship together. Stand on your feet if you would. Now, Father, we thank you for our coming week. Lord, your provision released by our faith in your word. Thank you, no evil befalls us, no plague comes nigh us. angels have charge over us, both in our travels and in handling the resource that you put into our life. We thank you, Father. No trauma, no terror, no evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself. We abide under the shadow of the Most High. Thank you, Father, for our hearts being tuned this week toward the cry and the plea in the lives of other people that do not know you. As we encounter men and women in conversation this week, open the door. Open the door for us to share Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in our life. That we not only tell them what he's done for us, but what he's done for them, that they might be saved. Thank you, Father. Tonight we leave worshiping you, glorifying you, thanking you for a wonderful time in your presence. Restored, refreshed, renewed, ready to live a week of overcoming victory. Thank you, Father, as we leave tonight. We love one another. Thank you for our church, the communion we have together, the fellowship that we have with one another. Thank you as we leave tonight, Lord. We are truly the ambassadors, the representatives of the kingdom of heaven, showing forth that which you've placed in us and that which you're doing for us. And as we leave tonight, we declare over our lives, we are covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy